excited. Uh, thank you for those of us that are joining online, and thank you for everybody that's here this morning. Uh, I pray that you've had a, a blessed week. I am incredibly excited at this uh, series that we've been going through. Pastor Josh has done, no doubt, a phenomenal job the last couple of weeks. Um, just a couple of quick announcements. Valentine's Day dinner is coming up on the 12th of February at 6.30, all right? I know that most of our men are out, so wives, this is where you get to come in and kind of prod them along a little bit. Let me tell you this, that about 13 years ago, the very first Valentine's Day I had with my now wife, I was late, and uh, what's the old expression go? Hell hath no fury, right? So uh, I learned a valuable lesson. Take opportunity and time to do things with your significant other. It will bless you both. Um, there are plenty of people that have already signed up, and sign-up spaces are limited, so please make sure to check that out. Also, again, life group sign-ups are live. Hey, if you have a smartphone, will you just hold it up for me real quick? If you're playing Angry Birds, no judgment in here, I just want to see. If you have a smartphone, here's what you can do, right? You'll see these little blue discs throughout the church when you come in. This is so cool. I'm, I'm very excited if you can't tell about it. You unlock your phone and just tap the center, that little circle with the F in the middle of it, and it'll pull up our life groups. Can you believe that? It's like fishing. You just kind of fish around that little white circle, and it'll pop up, and you just tap that link. Check them out. See what's going on. I will tell you this, that um, last year uh, was no doubt a, a very wild ride for the church and for the culture at large. Uh, and we're still dealing with the ripple effects of uh, our good friend, the Rona. But that being said, this is God answering prayer throughout that past year. This year alone, during this spring term, we have, not counting our next-gen groups, 21 life groups for you to choose from. Give it up for you guys. That is fantastic. That is opportunity to connect. Those are different types of groups. Some meet monthly, some meet weekly, some meet, I've got one, men in the room that are here. Um, I don't know what the other guys are doing. They're blowing stuff up, but we're here to serve Jesus, all right? So for those of us that remain the faithful remnant, I'm just kidding, they're doing great things out there. Um, I will tell you, hey, I've got a men's group coming up that we're gonna start. Um, February the 7th is when we officially launch life groups, but 15 minutes over a Zoom call, I just wanna pray for you and with you before we start our week. Let's get our hearts right before we proceed through the work week and glorify God in what we do. I think that would help, right? So check it out. There's lots to choose from. It's gonna be fantastic. Before I forget and get carried away with this message, um, I do have somebody's keys that was out in the coffee shop. They were so kind to bring them to me. So if you are missing keys, please come up and see me at the close of this service. All right, so here we go. We are in our series, Jesus is Greater. And when Pastor Josh and I were talking about this, I get really giddy when we go through a book. I like topics, it's fun, I did, but when you gotta go through and you gotta deal with some hard verses sometimes, you really gotta go verse by verse in a text, you'll find that the treasury of God in sacred scripture is endless. There's so many things that you pick up and notice as you study further and you get into the meat of God's word. We are gonna be in Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four today. So we're going through this book really fast, right? So what have we been, you know, three, four weeks now, we're only on chapter two? It's gonna be great. We're gonna rock this thing all the way to the summer, but I promise you at the end, if you will pay attention, God will move in your heart in a mighty way through the renewing of your mind and through his word. But lest I forget, we have our memory verse. It's the 31st of January. It's our last chance to do this. Has anybody enjoyed this? Have you enjoyed it? Has it been fun? I tell you what, it's been great with our kids. This is one of the things that we do at night before we pray is we do the memory verse. 
and I'm watching my seven-year-old son and my four-year-old daughter do this, and I'm like, praise be to God. This is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, we got the thing hanging up in the car and stuff like that, but make space for it. So, as a church, you ready? Try not to cheat if you can. It's all right, though. We're going to start a new one next weekend, so hey, we got all year, but all right. So, suppose you can be trusted with something very little, then you can also be trusted with something very large. But suppose you are not honest with something very little, then you will also not be honest with something very large. Luke 16, 10. Fantastic, I could hear you guys saying that, that's great. Either you're wonderful readers or um, you've actually committed it to memory. (laughs) Hey, regardless, you're writing the word of God, you're treasuring it in your heart. And that's really the whole point, is it not? That we as a church would lift up Christ and his word and magnify him by storing it in our hearts. Um, If this is your first time joining us, you should have got a worship guide when you came in. Um, If you're not up to speed with technology and doing the little tap thing for life groups, you are welcome to fill out this connection card on the side. Let us know that you're interested. Let us know if there's a way that we can pray for you. Um, Even those of you that are joining us online, you'll see a link pop up here shortly in the comments to send in a prayer request. We just want to enter into a space and bless you, pray for you, try to connect with you, and let you understand that this body, the body of Christ, which we are, cares for you and loves you to the glory of God. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app this morning, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to read it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect Such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would this morning be vigilant, that we would pay attention to your word, God, that we would treasure all the things you've told us in our hearts, And that we would be faithful servants to your cause of the gospel, God. That we would be salt and light, agents and messengers of good news for you, Father. I pray that your word would minister to us this morning. That it would make us more like your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, this kind of ties in a little bit this morning, right? So, we've been talking about there is this theme, this motif that runs through Hebrews 1 through 4.13, chapter 4.13, and it is the supremacy of Jesus Christ in contrast to old covenant ways. It's a sermon style, so you have these these transitions and points where they're trying to make proclamations. If chapter one, which Pastor Josh preached through, was doctrine, this is what you need to know, then chapter two, verses one through four, is exhortation. This is now what you need to do. Does that make sense? So we learn what we should believe, and now we're being told what we should do. Now, my first point this morning begins this way. Pay attention, right? Innovative, straight from the text. Lest you drift into darkness. You know, when I was preparing for this message, there was a Guardian survey that came out, and it suggested that attention spans have been on decline. I know many of you have heard that, right? That's why they tell us in the ministry, they say, 
But don't make sure, make sure you stay between 30 and 40 minutes, otherwise you lose people. People get hungry, they get distracted, whatnot. And I say, you know, I bought into that for a long time. I thought, maybe that is true. Maybe that is. But really, I think this is the deeper issue, is that it's not that we have a lack of attention, it's that we get bored easily with what we're paying attention to, because we don't appreciate it. Think about it. You say, I don't have enough time for a 30, 45 hour long sermon. Some of y'all go, please don't be an hour. I promise you I'm not going to be an hour today. Don't lose it. We got another service coming up. No worries, okay? I'm going to make sure we get people out of here. But you say, oh, I don't have time for that. But what do you do when you lay in bed at night? You scroll Facebook. You're paying attention to something. You're always paying attention to something. It just changes frequently. And what I'm asking you to do and what this text is asking you to do this morning is to pay attention to what the word says, lest you drift away. So when Guardian comes out and says these things, one of the things, one of the challenges that we have with my generation, and I fall in kind of the older tier of our millennial generation, is that we're kind of slothful. We just don't want it. We don't care about caring. Can you believe that? That's absurd, is it not? But it's true. It's true. Which is one of the fruits of that is that we're so anxiety-ridden that 40% of people in my generation alone are on some type of anxiety medications. Hey, why? It's chaotic. Why do you have anxiety if you don't even care about anything? Like, what's the deal? I just float along, just whatever. But there's so many challenges, especially, and social media exasperates this to no end, does it not? How many of you since November to now have been like, okay, I gotta got get off this. This is crazy. Social media is absolutely bonkers. It is. I stay on, I'll tell you the only reason I stay on it, two reasons. One is to connect with family that are abroad, right? You don't get to see them all the time. It's a great way to connect. The other reason is for ministry. It is. Share stuff at the church, share a verse here and there and whatnot. And sometimes there's some humor. We go to the old prophets of the Babylon Bee and have a good time. And, uh, but outside of that, I try not to camp there too long because it can get chaotic and it can cause anxiety to bubble up. And then I'm paying attention to something that does not matter. Where is my attention directed? Where is it? You know, we pay attention to the things. This is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're paying attention to something, right? So for those of us, and look, I love you enough to be honest. There's some of us in this church that deal with this. I deal with it. So you're not, you're not excused from dealing with this either. As you go, man, I'll pay attention to Jesus on Sunday. I will come to church. You will drag me, but I'll be here. But I ain't got nothing to do with him the rest of the week. Not gonna join a life group, not gonna serve on a team, not gonna pray for somebody. I'm gonna do Sundays and that's it. That's all the attention span that I have for the Lord Jesus. And I would say, I love you enough to tell you that you are drifting. You're drifting if that's how you feel about things like this. You know, the scriptures use the actual word drift. And they would have understood this, right? Because they are fishermen in that society. They're an agrarian society. So they grow things, they're fishing. Have you ever been out on a lake and done that? So last year, when the, when the Rona was hitting on base, they let us have access to all the lake stuff, the canoes, the kayaks, free, which is pretty cool, right? You know, if, if there was one silver lining and being locked down, you, you could go outside and do a lot of cool stuff that maybe perhaps you wouldn't normally do. And um, we got out there, and we're, we're, we're sitting out there, and we're just kind of hanging out, but it's incredibly windy, and uh, <laughs> end up basically on the other side of the lake if you don't fight against it. Right, like you've got to really, you really got to get after it. It's a great workout if you've never done it. And if you have two little ones, they, they don't really do anything. They just enjoy the ride. So they're sitting in there hanging out or whatnot. But even if it's not, and you get out on the water, water is always, what? It's 
moving, right? So if you are not actively engaged, what will you do? Drift. The other challenge for us is that maybe perhaps the winds of culture will oar with them and we will drift further from the truth, will we not? When the world becomes our idol, when the world becomes what drives our attention, we drift. We do. If you are not anchored by the cross of Christ, you will invariably drift somewhere. You will drift into darkness. And so the author tells us in Hebrews 2.1, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. There's an old expression in seminary that says, you gotta ask what the therefore is there for, right? It's a strange break in the text, truly, that you would go, you know, if, if you don't know, the Bible didn't always have chapter and verses. Did you know that? Can you imagine, though? Can you imagine turning your Bibles to something? I'm gonna use it today. Turning your Bibles to Nahum, how many people, even with numbers, were gonna be going, Wait, who? Is that somebody in the Bible? So they help kind of give us some directions. They give us an address to get to a particular text. But they didn't always have that. So it, it's strange in the text that from chapter 1 to chapter 2, chapter 2 begins with therefore. And you're like, well, great. If I didn't have chapter 1, I'm in a bind because I have no idea what you're talking about. And yet they're anchored together. If you go back to Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, verse 8, it says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness and the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And your Lord lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Granted, that's review, right? But this is what the author is pointing us to. The grand and gloriousness and majesty of Jesus Christ being far superior than anything else we've ever seen. So therefore... Because of these truths, pay attention. Pay attention, lest you drift away. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, I remind you, we put our attention somewhere. Many of us can tell, us, tell people more about the next series they've watched on their favorite streaming service than they can about the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says, then what? Pay attention to what? So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So consume the word of God. Inundate your life. Be engaged with the word of God you have before you. We're engaged with so much, and yet for so many of us, it's true that the Bible sits on a shelf and gathers dust, and maybe the only reason it's not dusty is because you come to church once a week, and you feel obligated to bring it. We must engage and pay attention to the truth. C.S. Lewis says this, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Drifting is a slow fade. And I'm gonna talk to two different people here. If you are a believer, 
You may drift, but you will not drift long because the Lord has secured your salvation. But friend, let me tell you this. If you're in here or you're listening online and you're content with the fact of saying, hey, if the wind is blowing outside, I'm not gonna go to church. If you're content with the fact of not being in a life group, if you're content with the fact of not being a part of God's kingdom and it does not bother you, you've drifted away and you've left us because you never were of us. Not that you've lost your salvation, but you were never part of the kingdom in the first place. I love you enough to tell you that. I know it's a hard truth, and I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head with that. But the scripture attests to as much. That if you are content with showing up on occasion, if you are content with never opening your word, if you're never bothered by that, if you don't feel the weight of that by God's Holy Spirit and by his grace to say, man, I need to do something here. I need to engage with my Lord because his grace is sweet. If you never feel that, and friend, you have drifted into utter darkness and you're not in the kingdom of God. It's a heart check, right? It's a hard truth, but the necessary truth the scripture teaches us as much. Second point this morning is this. His salvation is great and his wrath is severe. You know, growing up in the kind of church that I did, I was very acquainted with you know, the whole hellfire damnation preaching. I know many of you probably were as well, right? And uh, that's, a, that's a strong pendulum swing to one direction. But this is what we did as a church. We went from talking about hell and sin, and we swung hard the other way, and we never talk about it. Now, our church isn't like that, praise the Lord. But many churches will just tell you what you want to hear. Talk about going and chasing after your destiny and God's high calling for your life, and Christ is not the sinner, but you are the sinner. You know... In the text, it says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There is a lot, a lot in this particular section of the scriptures, okay? The law was given through the angels in the Old Testament, right? And what happened to the nation of Israel when they weren't faithful? God's wrath was administered, was it not? I had alluded to as much earlier, I pointed to it. In your worship guide, you'll see a passage from Nahum. And you're like, who's Nahum? He's one of the prophets. He's kind of hanging out there. It's pretty short, you know. We don't preach out of that book very often, um, which a lot of the minor prophets, we don't. And it says this. Nahum, um, chapter one, verses two through six. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken to pieces by him. If you didn't know, so Nahum is prophesying about Nineveh. And if you know the story of Jonah, then you understand Nineveh. You see, Jonah was upset because he was called to tell the Ninevites to repent, and what did they do? They did. And so this angry prophet sitting out there, and he's like, well, I sure wish they didn't. And, and God corrects him very quickly, does he not? He gets scorched by a hot sun. 
as he says there in his uh, righteous indignation. Now, Nahum is about 100 years later. He is prophesying to the Ninevites who have gone away from the Lord. Again, they have drifted. They have not paid attention to what they have been told. And they've entered into this extreme wickedness, not unlike what you and I see in our society today. That not only do people sin, but we celebrate sin. That we lift people up in worship of sin. And we're incredibly wicked as a, as, a, as a people, as humankind. And yet here, God follows through justly and righteously with condemnation on the Ninevites. So if the law given through angels, as the text tells us, received just retribution, like we just read in Nahum, how much more are you and I for the direct revelation from the mouth of Christ himself? If this passage, it says, Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape? Escape what? Does it not beg the question, escape what? What are we imprisoned to if we are not in Christ but sin? You know, we always have these sparring matches and say, oh, you know, free will that, free will this. I'm not even trying to have that conversation between our Calvinist and Arminian folks. You know where we're at. We're not gonna do that. But I will tell you this. You are free in as much as you are free to choose sin. Because in your freedom, because your will is in bondage to sin, you will choose to sin every time if God does not intervene through Christ Jesus. Which is why I cautioned you before that if you are not bothered by the things that you do that are opposed to a holy God, then you need to examine your heart in light of the gospel. The central theme in this passage is actually one of escape. We're imprisoned to sin, therefore we warrant wrath. But the author is using a device here to say, escape, how will we escape? And they understand that what he's referring to is God's impending judgment. Because if God was willing to judge Israel or the Ninevites or anybody else for that matter because of their wickedness in the Old Testament, how much more would we, knowing that we have this great salvation proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, if we reject that, how can we escape? If God has done the work for us, and yet we still reject it, and we don't pay attention, how are we gonna escape? We cannot. We cannot. You know, <laughs> there's this idea that God is not angry with sinners, and yet he is. The scriptures say that he hates sin. Psalm 5.5 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You hate evildoers. And yet, the word used in our passage this morning is this. If we neglect what? A great salvation. And see, I think the reason that we don't pay attention, that we don't appreciate the goodness of God, is because we devalue it in our hearts. It is not just a salvation, but a great one. That Jesus comes for sinners is good news. Is it not? Is it not the greatest news ever in the entire spectrum of history? To know that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forevermore, that Jesus Christ came for sinners and will save sinners if they only put faith in the Lord Jesus on the cross for their sins. 
It's by faith you're saved in the works of Jesus Christ. And yet it's so challenging, isn't it? You know, one of the things that I experienced just the other day, as you're well aware, I have a, a younger brother that is uh, he's transgender. And uh, for those of you who didn't know that, surprise, um, the rest of you. Um, and, and that has been a difficult thing that God has worked on my heart with, right? And here's the thing. If this salvation is so sweet and so great, I will take any opportunity to engage with him. Any opportunity. You say, what do you mean? Does it mean every time that you talk to him that you're telling him, Jesus wants to save you? No. It means every time I get the chance to engage with him, I will, and I will love him well in truth and in love. We've had those conversations, and I've been honest with him. You know, the other day he sent me a text. I don't know if you've been following the news with all the chaos that is the stock market, um, but <laughs> some of y'all making some money in here. Maybe some of y'all that ain't here are millionaires overnight. You had some GameStop. It's cool. But... Um, he sends me a text out of blue and asks me about it. I said, man, I tell you what, I'm going to brush up on any kind of stock information I can just so I can enter into a conversation with you because my motive is this. The more I can talk with you, the more the relationship can build. And the more the relationship can build, I can tell you about this great salvation that is in Jesus Christ that will set you free. It will set you free. Just give me an opportunity. Give me a chance to talk to you. I'll talk to you about anything. I will. You know, one of the things I want to encourage our life group leaders with, and this ties into this, does it not, is that there's an old story that goes back. It says uh, George Whitfield was this great evangelist back during the Second Great Awakening, and Ben Franklin would regularly attend his rallies or evangelistic moments, and people asked him, Ben Franklin was not an, uh, evangelical by any means, and they asked him, he said, why do you keep going? Why do you keep going to listen to George Whitfield preach? And he says, he, he says, they asked him, he said, well, you don't believe any of this. He says, I, I don't, but he does. Did you catch it? I don't, but he does. I'm going because he is so passionate. He is so certain of the truth that he is proclaiming that I go to see it. I go to see it. And so if this salvation is so great and we are so certain of our security in Christ, that alone should draw the attention of the people around us. If we look more like the world than we do like the sun, there's something wrong. We must be set apart for God. And he has done that for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says this, the roaring, roaring thunder of the law and the fear of the terror of judgment are both used to bring us to Christ. But the final victory culminating in our salvation is one through God's loving kindness. Mm. You ever taken a moment like that and just paused and said, you know, I, I really missed the mark today, God, or maybe this whole year I've just been all over the place. You realize, man, but your kindness and your mercies endure, even to me. You ever ask that question to God when God, when you, when you finally came to saving faith, God, why me? Why me? What did I do? Who am I? You know, it, it was the, there was a song we were listening to this morning by that band, uh, Casting Crowns, but it's great. It says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell anybody about somebody that saved my soul. Isn't that good? Just a nobody. I'm standing up here proclaiming the word of God to you, but I'm a nobody. And I just want to tell anybody about this Jesus that saves because his salvation is great. And if you're not found within it, then his wrath is severe. I want God to come and rescue you. Be saved while there's still time. 
because you don't know what tomorrow brings. My third point is this. His promises are true. You say, well, that seems simple enough. The verse says, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the validity of this message is found in the fact that the Lord Jesus proclaimed it, the apostles attested to it because they heard it and saw it, and God certified it by signs and wonders and has now given in this day and age gifts of the Spirit to his church. Now, if you jump up and say that God gave me the gift of snake handling, I'm gonna run. And I'm gonna be like, I think you read that text wrong, brother. But nonetheless, the church is equipped to testify to the truth of God. The scriptures testify to the truth of God. If the words of Jesus are not enough to convince you of the truthfulness of what he has said, then nothing else will. Because let me remind you that Jesus is, in fact, God. He says so in his word. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 8, you know, you will know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is calling that out. He's saying, hey, would I have told you that I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you if it's not true? Can you imagine? We often ask this question a different way when we look at the, the martyrs in church history. We say, I cannot believe that they would die for that. And we say, well, look, that's a testament to what they believe. They died because they believed in what they were proclaiming. Very few things would we be willing to die for as far as beliefs are concerned. But we don't often look and say, Jesus knew the certainty of such a degree of who he was and what he was called to do that he went to a cross to die. Remember in the garden? He's like, hey, if this cup can pass for me, please, Father, but not my will, but your will be done. In his humanity, he wrestled with the challenges that would have come with that, did he not? And yet he was faithful. He was faithful. Now, I'm gonna use something this morning and I'm gonna explain it to you. It's called, I'm gonna, we're gonna get the information in our head so that it can get to our heart. A lot of times we have this like anti-intellectual engagement with scripture and we're just like, I'm gonna take the Bible, just like a, a student in school, I'm gonna take a Bible, I'm gonna set it on my head and through osmosis, I'm gonna learn something. Students do that stuff all the time. I did not study, I didn't do it, I have no idea, but I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna put this book on my head, I'm gonna take a nap on my desk, and I'm gonna pray really, really hard that I pass this examination. What happens? You might get lucky, you might get lucky. Some of you are reinforced when that happens, and you're like, yeah, I think I remember that verse, I can paraphrase that. Some of them students, but most of the time, more than not, that is not how things clearly work. Many people will go and they will attend churches like a buffet. They'll just survey a little bit of this and a little bit of that, just trying to get whatever, but they won't ever let it penetrate their heart. They just want to hear what satisfies them here, but they do not want their heart to be changed or conformed to the will of God. So they'll go church shopping, and they'll find things that make them feel good, and they take a piece here and a piece there. And yet again, I remind you, the Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a rule in logic, it's called the rule of non-contradiction. This is where we get a little scientific. It says, something cannot be and not be at the same time in the same way. 
Here's two examples I want you to consider. God cannot be the creator of the universe and not the creator of the universe. Jesus cannot be the savior in the way, the truth, and the life and not be the savior in the way, the truth, and the life. As a military chaplain, I work with people of different faith backgrounds. I'm gonna tell you what, and I'm honest with them just the same, that when we are dialoguing about things that matter for eternity, one of us is wrong, and I believe it's them. I believe it's them. <laughs> I've had this conversation with fellow chaplains. Hey, hey, love you, great, whatever you're doing, you do you. I'm gonna keep telling people about Jesus, but I just want you to know you're wrong, I'm not. So, <laughs> humble brag, but it's on Jesus, right? So, when people make claims like that, you must understand that the truth that we have comes from the words of Jesus Christ himself. This great salvation, and it's always like God does one step further, doesn't he? He says, I'm gonna say it, and then I'm gonna have a group of folks around me that are gonna change the world through sharing it by God's grace and by God's power. I'm gonna give them the Holy Spirit that's gonna give them gifts. Remember that scene in Acts with Peter? Man, I love Peter. Do you love Peter when you read the scriptures? And Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter was, a, was a mouthy fisherman. And he said a lot of banana stuff to Jesus during his ministry. You know, we're to the point where Jesus at one point had to say, get behind me, Satan. Like, whew, <laughs> there won't be that guy, right? And uh, <laughs> I mean, man, I really messed up. And yet God uses Peter. and gives him power to proclaim and say, repent and believe and the Lord Jesus Christ. Radical change and evidences in his life that testify to the faithfulness and truth of God's glorious gospel. My friends, truth is not relative. It's not. Just like with my dear brother that I love so much, who will always be my brother, regardless of what you try to change to, you're my brother, and I love you. Because God doesn't make mistakes. God is righteous, God is just, God is loving. And I will always be here as a witness and a testimony to you, the glorious gospel that I love so much. So great a salvation that is extended to you and anybody else that does not know that is outside of the kingdom of God that Jesus died for sinners. And if you would put your faith in him, your life would be transformed. Pay attention. Remember, salvation is great, his wrath is severe. And understand that what the scriptures have to say are in fact true. And as I close, I'll close with this quote. Don't come to church for an emotional experience. You say, what does that mean? Come to church for the truth. Robert Godfrey. Some of us will come to get a booster shot of Jesus on Sundays and get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Hopefully you didn't choke on a glory cloud that was in here. And then leave and have nothing to do <laughs> with the church Monday through Saturday. Folks, if you are in Christ, you are in fact the church. Scriptures call you a saint. You are a co-heir with Christ. What are you doing Monday through Saturday? How are you being a faithful representative of the truth of this so great a salvation? How are you being light that represents there is in fact an escape from the wrath of a holy God and his name is Jesus Christ? Pay attention so that your zeal will not be misplaced. Pay attention to the cross. Pay attention to his word. He reveals himself to us in here. It is worthwhile pursuing. And if you're not engaged in some type of ministry or life group, I ask you, I plead with you, please, please, before you leave today, 
catch one of our leaders out in the lobbies and connect. We just want to do life with you. We've made it so simple this spring. It's not like every life group is a study in doctrine. Some of you would come to my life group and be bored to death. Be bored to death. I think we're like in John 4, and we've been going for weeks. So we're moving really slow. But some of you might like it. Others of you might be interested in connecting and saying, man, I just want to go get a meal and hang out. Some of you men might want to connect and be like, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin with praying. But I'll start here. Pay attention. Let your zeal be placed in who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for everybody here. God, keep us focused, our eyes fixed on you. Anchor us with your Lord Jesus Christ. We need it. We go astray so easily, God. We drift so easily. Have mercy on us, Lord. We're so grateful that you're greater than any challenge or regret we may have, Lord Jesus. Pray that you bless these people in this room, God. Change our hearts and make us more like your son. In Jesus' name.